News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Weird to even hear border updates in the traffic report, isn't it? Well, we are going to give you some border updates now because we think thousands of Canadians are getting ready to head south this week because the U.S. has lifted restrictions on recreational border crossings at the land borders. So we'll take a look at what's going on across the country right now. We're going to start with what's happening in Buffalo, New York. Morgan Campbell, Global Toronto reporter, is there and joins us. Good morning, Morgan. Good morning. What are things like there? Are there any lineups? You know, when we first got here bright and early at 5 a.m., ton of people just lined up down the bridge. And uh, right now, you could just drive right through. Um, Obviously, you've had to answer a couple questions before you do, but they've actually, they're running a well-oiled machine here at the border. They're getting people in um, through the whole process quite quickly, um, which is remarkable given what, you know, we experienced early this morning with so many cars and, and people were packed. They had all kinds of stuff in their vehicles. A lot of people heading, you know, south to Florida and Myrtle Beach and, and doing, you know, the whole snowbird, uh, the snowbird thing, a life I wish that I could live right now. I'll, tell you. <laughs> I'll bet a lot of us do. So what do Canadians need to know, Morgan, heading back? If they're, they're going down there for a couple of days or whatever, but when they come back, what do they need to know? Yeah, so quick tip, if you come, to the, if you come through the border, just make sure you have um, everything kind of printed out. It's, it's easier just to be able to hand it over. So you need your passport, obviously, your vaccine um, record. If you're not vaccinated, Don't even try getting into the U.S. You will be denied entry. They are only allowing vaccinated individuals into the country. But heading back is where it gets a little tricky. You're going to have to provide a negative uh, PCR test in order to to go back. And there's been quite a bit of controversy about the PCR test. you know, it ranges from 150 to $300, depending on, on where you get it. And uh, a lot of people actually have been talking about the PCR test today. Some areas are actually offering free PCR tests just to try to entice Canadians to come down. Um, so there's this little town called Elginville, which is near Buffalo, New York. And my colleague, Sean O'Shea, is there. And they're actually offering um, three days a week free PCR tests because really? it's a short town and they want to get Canadians to come down. So, and, and that, it makes sense too, because even when my camera guy, Robbie and I went out for dinner last night, so a lot of restaurants were closed up in Buffalo and it simply because they just don't have the right. traffic. Right. And I can so see that. this border reopening is, is a huge deal for them. All right, Morgan, thank you so much for that update. Yeah, thanks for having me. Morgan Campbell, Global News Toronto reporter at Buffalo, New York at the border crossing there. Uh, Just checking out to see what it's like with Canadians. Of course, we're curious what our border crossing is like. So let's check in locally now at the Peace Arch border crossing with Global News reporter Emily Lazatin. Good morning. Good morning, Emily. Good morning, Simi. It's quite exciting out here today, although not so busy yet, I I should add. Okay, so what is it? Because we're used to seeing no cars. Emily, what does it look like right now? You're used to seeing no cars, but right now um, we're looking, well, our friends already on 730 reported about uh, 20 to, uh, it's fluctuating, every time between uh, 25 to 40 minute wait, maybe. It's not that I see RVs, I see campers. I know there's a lot of anxious people, well, you know, waiting to see family or just even crossing to get to their trailers. A lot of British Columbians, you know, trailing just right across the border here in BC. Um, it's not so bad. And 
I, I really just have to add that you could. It, it's really exciting out here. You could feel it. Really? Okay. So it yes. is. Would you say it is mostly like campers, RVs, that kind of thing that you see in the lineup? No, it's a, it's a mix. But I'm I'm seeing quite a significant amount of campers and RVs, and you know where they're going. They're heading straight to their yeah, sunshine. They're heading they're to sunshine. <laughs> Um, but I, I was just listening to, I think, Morgan there. And, you know, a big one for us here, too, is um, we want to cross over and to shop, to get cheap gas, to get milk, cheese, all that stuff. But uh, we we're talking about the PCR test, and that's needed uh, to come back within uh, 72 hours uh, of arrival. So not too sure if uh, many British Columbians on our end will be hopping over the border yeah. just uh, just for milk and gas. Just that. Exactly. All right, Emily, thank you so much. All right, talk soon, Simi. Emily Lazatin, Global News reporter at the Peace Arch Border Crossing. So that's what it looks like right now. It'll be steady, I think, today, but that return PCR test is what's going to hamper a lot of people. You let me know. Is that going to hamper you? Can you imagine if there were free, if Blaine Washington or Bellingham were offering up free PCR tests, can you imagine what the border would look like today? It would be crazy. If you want to weigh in, Simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, ski season is not that far away, given the way things were snowing and really coming down up in Whistler over the weekend. So many people I know would be looking forward to that, hitting the slopes for the upcoming ski season. But there are people up in Whistler who are also concerned about that. They're concerned more about the lack of vaccine mandates that are going to happen up at Whistler Resort. So here's the thing. They plan to open for the season on November the 25th for Whistler Blackcomb. So many of the resort ski lifts are actually, you know, enclosed gondolas and they're pretty tightly packed a lot of the time. And there isn't going to be a proof of vaccination required to buy that lift pass to get on the mountain. Other places like Gross Mountain will have proof of vaccination required with Sir Blackcomb is not doing that. And remember, they had quite a few problems with COVID last season where the community really suffered quite a few outbreaks and, you know, a lot of things got closed down. So people are raising concerns about this, including our next guest, who is Dr. Kathy Zaglinski, who's a Whistler resident and medical doctor. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. So what, when you look around here, did you feel like with the hype heading up to ski season, you just felt like you had to say something? Well, there's been a petition that has almost 10,000 signatures. I was beseeched by several of my patients, uh, including John Koning, who started the petition, to put my uh, MD behind it. I was very hesitant because of the hatred that comes from speaking about health. But I need clearly to say there's no other indoor space would you be so close, leg to leg, shoulder to shoulder, breath to breath, any closer, you'd be kissing. So we need to call this an indoor space, which it is. Right, because I guess that was the defense, right? That, oh, it's outdoors, it's skiing, uh, it's different than going into a restaurant. Well, you know, if you want to look at the brochure, we have a beautiful picture of skiing and open powder fields. To get to those powder fields, in a day, people have these uh, trackers on their phones. They were spending up to four hours a day on the gondola, to get to those powder fields. So it's a real misconception that you're outside the whole time. That is snowshoeing or cross-country skiing. When you're downhill skiing, you're sharing lift lines and you're sharing indoor space with people, a lot of people. Dr. Zaglinski, what has the last year been like in Whistler? 
You know, this is a community that has vaccinated to the point we are probably the most vaccinated in the world. I've been part of the vaccine campaign, and there's been a huge uptake in our corridor, the Sea to Sky corridor, to get life back to normal, to welcome our international guests. We love our international guests. It's our reason for being. We want people to know it's safe, and we're a safe community to get life back to normal. But if people don't cooperate with that, we'll see what happened last year where we were shut down and the only resort in BC that was shut down. So how is that? You said you signed the petition, but has that been getting a lot of discussion in the community up there? I can tell you there's a lot of internal discussion. There's uh, support from the medical community and in terms of the political community, there's a lot of internal lobbying. I cannot speak for anyone else. And the problem is, when I speak out, I've already received the hate mail. But denial and the deniers, it's a form of intense fear, and it's a form of the ability to control your environment. If you don't believe it will happen, it just won't. It's magical thinking. It's alternate reality. And statistics don't do anything. It's only when people close to them, people they know, start to get sick, get to hospital. That's what happened in Whistler is everyone knew someone who was going to hospital or who was really sick. And it put fear. And we had a huge uptake right away of vaccines because everyone knew someone who was affected. And it it made them scared and it brought it home. Unfortunately, other places haven't seen that. Right. Dr. Zaglinski, that must be... I don't know, discouraging for you to know that you've got this community who went through all this, you've known what it's like, that's why there was such an uptake on the vaccine, and here you are faced with a similar, you know, possibly preventable situation, and do you feel like these warnings just aren't being heeded? Well, what I want to say is that there are many other resorts that are requiring double vaccination. Most of the big resorts in British Columbia, all of the resorts in Quebec, most of the big resorts in Alberta, So we do not want to become the haven for the anti-vax crowd. Now, you have to remember, they also don't believe COVID is real. So if they get sick, they don't believe it's COVID or that they should stop skiing. So why should they not come if they feel a little sick? They've booked their holiday. It's really quite terrifying. I, I do want to say we're all six degrees of separation from someone that we love who either has cancer or disease. And people don't walk around with a C on their forehead saying they have cancer or a D that says they have a disease. And they ski. They actually ski. And they look healthy. So what happens next here then? I mean, this is owned by a big company out of the United States. They haven't shown any indication of changing their mind on this. Well, we know what the American response has been to this entire pandemic. And we know that it's been challenged and it's not been supported in the U.S. by the physician community. And we see the rollout of deaths in that country. We've had a Canadian response. It's been very successful. And why we are allowing, as a Canadian on Canadian soil, to have an American company dictate our health, to me, is very surprising. You said that you've already received kind of hate mail from speaking out. Was it that quick? that quick they went onto my personal email and this group i understand they're scared they're really scared they're, they, they're terrified so if you're terrified of something it's one of the one of the ways of handling fear so that you can c- control your life i don't believe it it doesn't exist but we see all these people speak out when their loved ones are in hospital in the icu and they say look believe it's real and get a vaccine 
I can tell you there's a big difference between healthy and death. And the only statistics we have are death. But double lung transplants, no energy, sore muscles forever, fatigue, uh, change in personality, inability to go to work. Those are not the statistics we're seeing. And those are the real statistics of COVID. That's called a long hauler. So what would you like to see happen here? Would you like to see Dr. Henning, the public health office, step in? I would absolutely request that they revisit this and have a public health order. Now, if the place only had chairlifts, might, that might be different. There is no way other way up the mountain at Whistler Blackcomb, except on an enclosed gondola, except for one lift called Fitzsimmons that is not always running, and it goes partway up the mountain only. So let's face it, if it's raining, if it's snowing, it's hailing, that little face covering you wear is doing almost nothing, and it gets readjusted on the gondola, and there are no mask police. In a restaurant, in a concert, you have mask police. On the gondola, once you're on it, everybody takes their mask off and tells you to shove it. There's nobody who is policing that, and that's what we're all afraid of. All right, Dr. Zaglinski, thank you for your time on that this morning. Thank you so much. That is Dr. Kathy Zaglinski, a Whistler resident and medical doctor, very concerned about the lack of proof of vaccination in order to ski at Whistler Blackcomb this year. They're not going to require it. But as she pointed out, Whistler Blackcomb is different from a lot of other, you know, ski hills in that to get up the hill, you do have to get on that gondola and you do get crammed into these tight little spaces. It's not an open ski lift or chairlift situation. So do you think that should be required? Should they be changing their minds on that? You can email me, simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, today's a big day at the border. It's going to be a developing story all day long. You'll hear about it right here on 980 CKNW. It's all about the land border reopening with the United States. Now, you may have seen pictures this morning of the Mexico side of things just line up for like a mile of cars waiting to get into the United States. Not so as much on this side, though, and that is mainly because of that return requirement. If you're a Canadian heading down to the States, when you come home, you're still required to show a negative PCR test. That is going to deter a lot of day trippers from going down there shopping, getting gas, milk, that kind of stuff, right? One expert from the Border Policy Research Institute at Western Washington University says, you know what this means? This means that the U.S. and Canada need to have more consistency in their travel rules. It's going to be pretty messy, and ideally the U.S. and Canada will figure out how to align our standards. It's not to say use the same systems, but you know, let's let's be a little bit more aligned in our standards so that the average traveler doesn't have to do quite so much sort of navigating these new systems. Right. So that makes sense, right? But then the more I started to think about that this morning, I thought, can you imagine what the borders would look like today, this right now, if there weren't that PCR requirement to come home? Can you imagine all the day trippers that would be lined up? So if it changes in the next couple of weeks, I wonder if maybe that was the plan because there are already lots of people lined up to go south. To talk more about what this means for places like Blaine, Washington, joining us now is Len Saunders, who happens to be an immigration lawyer in Blaine. Len, thanks for being back with us. Hi, Simi. How are you? I am good. Thank you. What's the mood like in Blaine today? Well, we're definitely very excited down here. Um, The city has put up a big banner on our main street saying, welcome back Canadians. A lot of the businesses, especially the mailbox uh, facilities that were only open literally like one 
hour a day or maybe even one hour a week for the very few people to pick up their packages are now back to full hours. So it feels like Black Friday, right, with all the Canadians finally coming back down. But as you said, it's not going to be the, you know, thousands of people because of these restrictions going back into Canada. Right. But I mean, looking at the lineup this morning, it still looks pretty busy. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now and there's lots of RVs, there's lots of cars. The Nexus lane looks pretty packed. It's, you know, it's, you know, past the duty-free store going into Canada. So that's something we haven't seen for over a year and a half. So you mentioned the mailbox stores there. What has it been like for even just the retail environment in general on that side of the borderline? Well, you know, I say the gas stations, it's not like they have less customers. They have no customers. Half the time when I gas up in Blaine, I'm the only car there. There's no business for them. The mailbox places have, you know, told people not to send packages because they're overflowing. You drive by them and you see their lobbies full of packages. So there's going to be a lot of people in this town who cater to Canadians who are going to be happy even with the limited reopening to vaccinated travelers and the COVID test still being required to go north. At least it's a step in the right direction to a full reopening at some point. Okay, so that's do you think that might happen, though? I know we've talked about this. It, it seems to me that if Canada had lifted that test requirement, the borders would be just packed right now. Maybe that's not what they wanted today. Absolutely. I heard you earlier. You know, the, the lines, I think, would be all the way into downtown Vancouver. That's how many people want to come south. So I think you're going to see a lot of pressure on the Canadian government to get rid of the, the COVID test. I understand when people are flying in from overseas, they're coming in from Asia, they're coming in from Europe. I can understand still having the COVID test, people flying in from overseas. But for somebody who just drops down into Whatcom County for the day, gasses up their car, goes to you know the mailbox facilities, goes grocery shopping, there's really no common sense, logical need to have those Canadians have a PCR test when they go back into Canada. Right. We heard earlier this morning from a reporter that in upstate New York, there's a town that's offering free PCR tests to try to lure Canadians to come down. Well, I I heard the state of Washington was considering it, too. I've said to many of the mailbox places down here, you should see if you can, you know, somehow get a rapid test to get your clients to come down here. So, you know, you may see some creative uh, entrepreneurs on this side of the border to lure Canadians uh, down for, for day trips, but who knows? So do you think for now it is just kind of more of a status quo? Yeah, you know, I think I think this is allowed, you know, the snowbirders, the people who are coming down for, you know, a few weeks or a few months to, you know, at least be able to enter without all of these flying restrictions, you know, flying rather than driving. So in, in some respects, this limited opening with, with, you know, making sure that everyone has a COVID test and the, and or at least, you know, double vaccinated to enter the U.S. and then the COVID test going north. It's probably been for the best just to do a slow reopening because I was always wondering, are they just going to open the border and say, come on in? So, you know, maybe by Christmas time, we'll see a complete reopening, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. And at this point, you know, I'm happy, even though there still are some restrictions for Canadians going back into Canada. All right, Len, thank you so much for your time on that this morning. Okay. Have a good day, Simi. You too. That's Len Saunders, immigration lawyer in Blaine, talking about the border reopening. They're looking forward to welcoming Canadians back in Blaine. You heard them say they've got a big banner up saying, welcome back, you know, Canadians. 
Thing is, with the testing requirements for Canada, I don't think they're going to get a whole lot of day trippers. But as we talk about this this morning, I'm becoming more and more convinced that this is, uh, you know, there is a bigger plan here. There has to be, right? Because think about how busy the borders would be if they had just lifted all the restrictions today and said you can go down for a day trip. So the snowbirds will head down right now. The border is, you know, certainly busier than we've seen in two years. It's about a 20-minute wait time at Peace Arch. And then maybe in the next couple of weeks, you'll start to see those other restrictions ease up. Because here's what it is right now. If you go down to the United States, upon your return to Canada, you must show a negative test, a molecular test, so a PCR test, not a rapid antigen test. That will not be accepted. So it makes it a little bit more difficult too. Plus, you need to upload that information to the Arrive Can app. This is the thing. When you arrive at the border, you have to show your receipt that you had filled out the Arrive Can app and done it all properly. That's also more time consuming than just pulling up with your passport and your receipts for whatever it is that you bought. And the cost of those molecular tests and the PCR tests are more cost prohibitive. They're more expensive than you know the rapid, rapid antigen test, which can be a lot cheaper. So right now seems geared towards preventing the day trippers from going down there. But how do you feel about this? Are you okay with the test requirement staying in place? Do you think, okay, yeah, for now, for the next couple of weeks, we need to keep it this way? Or are you ready to have that thing listed and to head down to the U.S.? Email me, Simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. You know, Vancouver and many other communities rake in a lot of money every year from the movie industry. So many productions going on all over Metro Vancouver. But, you know, there can be, for some people, a price to pay for giving over so much space to Hollywood North. Our show contributor, Raji Sohal, joins us now for more on that. Good morning, Raji. Good morning, Simi. Yeah, I think from an economic perspective, it's obviously really great for BC that we get so many films shot here, right? Like millions of dollars annually go into our economy here. Lots of locals work on those sets, but some public places in Vancouver seem to be frequently under lock. And that's because they're being regularly rented out to the movie industry. I have a friend in uh, Vancouver's West End, and she told me she's sick and tired of seeing her corner of her street regularly rented out to film crews because she's not getting, you know, paid to lose access to her stoop. And for me, when it happened in my neighborhood regularly, I was schlepping a toddler on my back, pushing a baby stroller. And I was so annoyed when I couldn't use my own sidewalk to get to my home. Um, Friends in Gastown that own little shops there have been annoyed by this. Well, if you've ever been by the Vancouver Art Gallery, maybe you've seen their plaza filled with parking for filming. It happens, you know, enough that it gets noticed there. And the city of Vancouver calls that uh, North Plaza at the Art Gallery one of its prized public gathering places. It went through a $9.5 million redesign a decade ago to become transformed into a gathering place for the public. It's a public space That's what it was designed for. And yesterday on my Sunday show, I had architect Matthew Souls on. He was part of the redesign team for the Vancouver Art Gallery space about 10 years ago. And he's quite frustrated by seeing that space rented out to the film industry so often. He said that's not what it's for. Well, the vision was really to create um, a multifunctional uh, space that had beautiful paving, um, seating, a variety of types, um, for people to gather uh, for celebrations, uh, meet people, a, a kind of, uh, you know, a rendezvous point, uh, a place where workers in the area could gather to have lunch and, you know, 
to support all of the unknown and amazing things that happen in a vibrant city. So, you know, people dancing, performing, protests periodically. So really the idea was to make a comfortable, attractive space uh, fitting our, our great city. Yeah, Simi, to be clear, it's not like the Vancouver Art Gallery space is rented out every single day of the year. In fact, it's just a handful of days every month, but it does make a huge impact on the space when it happens. I have wanted to meet friends there in the past uh, for lunch when I've been downtown. You know, it's like a beautiful building. It's a great uh, hub to people watch from and that kind of thing. And then we met and we're like, okay, a movie's being filmed here right now. Loud generators, trucks parked on the plaza, like right there near the entrance. So it's not exactly a fun setting uh, to hang out in when a movie is being filmed there. Here's Matthew Souls again. Different cities use their spaces in different ways. But I think um, when you look at the great plazas of the world, they are first and foremost for the citizens, everyday people to use in the ways that they see fit. And there's very uh, rare disruptions to that when it comes to something like parking vehicles or staging for films. So, you know, take Union Square in San Francisco. I mean, to my knowledge, it is not ever used for such a, such a thing. I mean, it is transformed over the course of the year for different festivals and events. You know, sometimes there's a skating rink put on it. Sometimes there's a Christmas tree. Um, sometimes there's small little pavilions for markets, um, but never but never a place to, to, to park vehicles, to park large trucks, and, and, and in which the space is um, entirely taken over by the parking of vehicles. Yes, I mean, he mentions um, Union Square in San Francisco there, but also I'm, I'm thinking of places like Trafalgar Square in London, like you would never see it overtaken by parking trucks for a film. Um, here's Matthew Souls again. You know, this is a very important public space for the city of Vancouver. We don't have many of these types of spaces, and especially in front of such a beautiful historic courthouse building that is now the Vancouver Art Gallery. So I think it demeans and devalues the space by parking large vehicles on it. And I think a really important, or, you know, we could imagine, um, you know, if someone spends a lot of energy and time making their front yard of their house into a beautiful, a beautiful and attractive and inviting space, they would never periodically, um, you know, park their vehicles directly on the lawn. You know, even if you did that just a few days in the month, you know, your neighbors would think you were crazy. Um, <laughs> it would kind of devalue and demean the the significance of that space. So I wonder, Raji, does COVID have anything to do with this? Because there was a lot of seating and everything in the plaza. It was a gathering space prior to the pandemic. And a lot of that obviously actively discouraged, taken away during the pandemic, which means it's wide open and available now for parking, it seems like. Well, I got in touch with the city. They did send along a statement and they said that there are 25 film permits a year for that space. Um, they said that uh, there were 14 event permits um, last year, but 39 given in 2019. So the pandemic brought that number way down. And the city pointed out to me that uh, the Vancouver Art Gallery is a popular filming location, has been for many years, and that they rely on uh, the money, the revenue that comes in from the film industry. Um, but what Matthew Soul's point was there in that story is that 
maybe that shouldn't be what our like one of our prized public spaces is used for. Like maybe the public should get reliable use of that on a regular basis. Right. Now, I can appreciate that various neighborhoods are attractive to the film industry. Uh, they're also attractive to me. Like I want to hang out there and just to have, you know, a, a peaceful, enjoyable time. Um, it's not like when these films set up in an area that it's like, uh, you know, quiet, subtle thing. No, they, you know, they park up there on the plaza and they cordon off areas. And, um, you know, I told you earlier in the piece that I, uh, I had a tough time when I had to push a stroller and I had a, a toddler on my back and I wasn't allowed to use certain sidewalks because of filming. Um, well, what if you're in a wheelchair? Uh, what if you find, what if you use a cane? What if you find accessibility tricky as it is? And and then these uh, yeah. beautiful areas are always overtaken by the filming industry. I can testify to this because I drive right by that every morning on my way to work. And even arriving at work at 4.30 in the morning, it's many, many times a month that you can see the trucks all lined up right, right along the street there getting ready to start filming. So yeah, it certainly is a busy spot. You raise an interesting point. Raji, thank you. Thanks so much, Simi. It's our Raji Sohal there. If you want to weigh in on that, simi at cknw.com.